Hey, doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I'm your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls, Dolls and Doom. Today, I'm going to tell you about Jody Sue Hoosentruth. So let's go back to the morning of June 27th, 1995. While the police are still at Jody's apartment processing the scene just a few hours after Jody was reported missing. There's something about that day that I haven't told you yet. So while the police were still there processing, a red truck pulled up. And inside, in the passenger side of this truck, was John Van Syce. That's weird. Yeah. So officers approached him while he was still in the truck and they asked how they could help him. And John said, I was the last person to see Jody. So police say that John came across like he really wanted to help and he seemed really upset that Jody was missing. But they did find it very strange that he just showed up at her apartment as opposed to calling the police department and saying, I need to talk or showing up at the police department. They thought it was weird that he showed up at her apartment. Yeah, that is weird. I think so too. I don't think that's what I would have done. It's hard to put yourself in the position though of like, oh yeah, you know, in that moment when you're panicked, your friend's missing, like. You're not thinking clearly. Right. It's hard to really know what you would do. So John said that the night before, Jody had come by his apartment after she left that dinner at the country club. And she came by specifically to watch a videotape of a birthday party that John had thrown for her just a couple of weeks before. So we know that the witnesses said that Jody left the country club at 8. And John said that Jody came to his house right after she left the club. John lived less than 4 miles from the country club, so she should have been there by 8.10 at the latest. The video is just over 15 minutes long. John said they watched the entire video, then they talked about the ski trip for a few minutes, and then Jody left. Now we know that Jody was back at her apartment by 8.24 to make that phone call. So the timeline doesn't add up. No, she would have been really late. Right. Like, given his timeline, they're still watching the video at 8.25. And that's a minute after she makes the call. Right. And that's not taking into consideration, you know, having her leave his house, get in his, her car, drive home, get to her apartment, get walk settled. Walk up the for, stairs, open the door. Right. Yeah. Like, are you going to walk right in your apartment and immediately pick up your phone? This is before cell phones. So, right. like. Only if it's an emergency. Right. She was at a fancy dinner, so I would get be, comfy first. Right. I'd be kicking off my heels. Right. My dress. <laughs> yeah. All that. Yeah. So, on top of the timeline not adding up, John acted just a little weird. So remember that boat they took on the ski trip? Yeah. Any guesses what the name of that boat was? Oh, don't tell me it's Jody. <laughs> it's Jody. Oh, man. Yeah. So John told uh, the local news station that she meant so much to him that he named his boat after her. But I'm not sure if this boat was named Jody before or after she went missing. There's got to be a way to, to find out. There is, but... I don't know. (laughs) I did not find it out. (laughs) All right. So Jody's journaling over the last several weeks did have a lot of entries about John, but nothing negative about him has ever been released to the public. So if she did ever write anything bad about him, 
we've never seen it. Hmm. Everything that has ever been released is what a great guy he is, how they're friends, how nice he is to her. It's all positive. And it also doesn't seem to have any kind of romantic flair to it. So even their friends are like, oh, it's platonic. Right. And in her writings, she never says, I like him or he likes me or anything like that. Right. Okay. Which you would think if you write in a journal, you would, that's something I would, if I journaled, I would write that in my journal. If I had a male friend and we were just friends for a long time and all of a sudden he made a pass at me. Yeah. Or tried something. Yeah, of course I'm going to write about it. Right. Now, John, unfortunately, did not have an alibi for the time that Jody went missing. So he did go on these early morning walks with another female friend named LaDonna Woodford, and they would normally walk from about 6.30 a.m. to 7.45 in the morning. But Jody was abducted around 4.30 a.m., and during that time, John said he was sleeping, and there was no one there to cooperate that. So flimsy. Right. (laughs) But again, at the same time, what are you doing at 4.30 every morning? Right. Hopefully sleeping. Hopefully sleeping. (laughs) So three days after Jody went missing, John called LaDonna saying that he no longer had any friends left, that everyone thought that he took Jody, and LaDonna said that she doesn't think John was at all infatuated with Jody, but instead that maybe he was protecting her, that maybe he was taking on a more fatherly type role. She didn't think John had any sexual feelings for Jody. In fact, she said that John had a girlfriend and that she'd spoken with this girlfriend. But the girlfriend broke up with John after Jody went missing, saying that she couldn't handle, like, all the attention on him and everyone pointing fingers at him, saying that he may have hurt Jody. Yeah, I get that. And LaDonna actually asked this girl if she thought John was responsible for Jody's disappearance, and the girlfriend said she didn't know. Okay. Yeah. Not a ringing endorsement, but... Right. I don't know how long they'd been dating or anything like that. Right. They might not have been super close. Right. Now, John was polygraphed, but the results of the test have never been released. However, John told news outlets that he did pass. Now, eventually, John stopped being cooperative with police. In 2010, he was asked to speak to a new investigator on the case, but this time he declined. John was issued a subpoena in 2017 to testify before a grand jury. He was also asked to provide finger and palm prints. Nothing has been released that's public record, but I think it's safe to assume he wasn't indicted. He did issue two statements. One was saying that he had been living in a suspended hell and had no involvement in Jody's disappearance. The second statement said that he had recently been diagnosed with moderate to severe Alzheimer's disease. Now, there was someone else who uh, authorities thought might have possibly been involved with Jody's disappearance. And this was a man named Tony Jackson, who lived a few blocks away from the news station where Jody worked. So in May 1997, a couple of years after Jody went missing, there was a series of rapes. A teenage girl was raped, several women were raped, and these rapes happened about two and a half three hours north of Mason City. Tony Jackson was arrested for the rapes and in his possession authorities found handcuffs, rope, masks, duct tape, and a gun. And these were all kept in a fanny pack that each victim was able to identify. It's basically a smoking gun. Right. 
Now, Tony Jackson's M.O. was to get in women's apartments, but there was at least one case where he raped a woman in her car. Now, because of the severity and the amount of attacks in that couple of years, authorities thought he must have been attacking women well before just these cases. Yeah. You know, you don't just escalate to that level. They believed that he'd been attacking women for some time. So they started doing a little research into Tony Jackson, and that's when they learned that at the time of Jody's disappearance, Tony Jackson lived in Mason City. He'd moved there from Chicago in 1993 or 1994, and he lived only one block from KIMT. That's quite the convenient location. Right. So Tony was convicted of four of the five rapes that he was charged with, and again, all of those rapes happened within two years from when Jody went missing. Now, while he was in jail, an informant came forward saying that he had been behind bars with Tony Jackson and that Jackson had admitted to murdering an anchor woman. So this informant's name is Dennis Goff, and he says in 1998, Tony Jackson admitted to killing this anchor woman. He'd even written a rap which went like this. Now, I'm not a rapper, so I'm just going to read it. <laughs> okay. She's a stiffen around tiffin in a pileage of silage and a by-low, low-below, off a highway by a grave road. Tiffin is a small town in Iowa, and Jackson had actually just bought a car the day before Jody disappeared and put a lot of miles on it right away. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, this informant is now dead, so we can't get any further information from him. But based on what he said, Tony said, the theory is that Jackson could have drove from Mason County to Tiffin with Jody in the car, found a road maybe along a cemetery. So there's a group of investigative journalists and one retired police officer who have started this organization called findjody.com. And that's awesome. It's really cool. And they're really working hard to try to find answers. And, you know, they're able to devote so much time to this case. So when this news came forward about this rap that Jackson supposedly wrote, they decided to do a little investigation of their own. These are my kind of people. Right. So they actually went out to Tiffin and they were able to find an abandoned farm that was on a road along a cemetery and there were several silos right there and they thought this kind of lines up with that rap let me read the rap again she's a stiffen around tiffen in a pileage of silage in a by low low below off a highway by a grave road yeah it, it lines up it does so they brought in cadaver dogs to search this farm, and two of the three dogs actually alerted inside the silo. But animal bones were found inside, and that's all that was found inside. Do you know how far deep they dug? Because maybe someone killed a raccoon and threw it on top to throw suspicion. I don't know how deep, but they did say that they believed it was a raccoon. But that's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. You're absolutely right. Someone could have done that. But I imagine if you're going to go to the trouble of like... Yeah, driving all the way out there and digging. Digging that you would probably do a thorough job. But who knows? I'm just assuming. 
So Jackson was interviewed by a news journalist, and Jackson said that he has never been to Tiffin, Iowa, and that he wouldn't have traveled there, especially not if he had a missing or dead woman with him, because in a small town in Iowa, such as Tiffin, he feels he would have stood out and been remembered because he's a black man. So it kind of makes sense if you feel like you're going to stand out. You wouldn't want to go somewhere. To where, bury a body. Right. Where someone's going to say, oh, I did see him on such and such day. Yeah, he went out by that silo. Right. Tony Jackson said that he is sad that people put rape and murder in the same category and say that because he could do one of those things, he could obviously do the other. He said that at the time of the rapes, he was having relationship problems and mourning the loss of a child, and he just lost himself. He said that once he started raping, even though he felt bad about it, he couldn't stop. He said that while he was at the home of his last rape victim, after raping her, he prayed to God to please stop him, and he did. And that's when he was caught. I don't know how I feel about him saying that rape and murder are not the same, because obviously they're not the same, but they're both pretty, pretty darn evil. So They're cruel and violent acts. To downplay rape. Right, that's not okay. <laughs> I mean, I see what he's saying, but at the same time, like, sorry, bud. It's it's evil and you're a monster for being yeah, able to do that. they're both disgusting, vile yeah. acts. You're still a monster, buddy. Yep. So Tony, Tony Jackson's DNA has not matched any of the evidence found at Jody's crime scene. And there's absolutely no valid evidence at all that he had anything to do with Jody's disappearance. There was one other person police looked into, a man named Thomas Corscadden, who lived in Austin, Minnesota, and that's about an hour away from Mason City. And he actually got on police's radar when his ex-wife called the police and said he may have been involved in Jody's disappearance. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So Thomas had been in and out of jail since 1970 when he sexually assaulted a woman in her apartment after pretending to be there to work on her phone lines. And after that, he just had a long history of sexually assaulting women. He drove a white van that he called the Porn Palace. He kept a mattress in the back of the van that he used with prostitutes and others. Oh my gosh. And, interestingly, there was a white van seen in the parking lot of the key apartments with parking lights on the morning Jody went missing. Oh, that is a creepy coincidence. It is. So apparently, after the news came out that Jody went missing from the key apartments parking lot, the witness who just drove by the apartments on his way to work noticed that this one morning there was a white van with the lights on. He thought it was weird because it wasn't normal, but he didn't really think anything of it until he learned that she was missing, and that's when he called in this tip. Right. Now, Thomas Corscadden's ex-wife said that Thomas actually really had a thing for Jody. In fact, she said he got angry when he couldn't get tickets to an event at KIMT where he thought he would see Jody. So in March of 1996, a court services official came forward saying that he was having a conversation with Thomas and he mentioned Mason City. And when he did, Thomas responded, oh, Jody, who's in truth? She's dead. It's a weird response for a location. Very strange. Now, as crime junkies, when I hear certain cities, I'm like, oh, John Bonet Ramsey, or, you know, but. But that's just where our brain is all the time anyway. Right. And I don't like bring it up with strangers. 
And we don't know that Jody's dead. So for him to be like, oh, Jody Hosentrup, she's dead. That's bizarre. It is bizarre. Yeah. Witnesses say he was later heard bragging about being involved in her disappearance. So in 2004, his prints were collected. And when he was approached for these items, he at first reacted that he thought it was funny that he was like on the radar for Jody. He kind of laughed it off and was almost like impressed and like proud that people thought he may have been involved. I was going to say, sounds like he's flattered. Like, right. Oh, they're looking at me for it. Right. But then after they actually took his prints, they said he became really vulgar and oppositional and did not want to provide his prints or DNA or anything else. It sounds guilty. It does sound guilty. But unfortunately, he was cleared after being interviewed and polygraphed. Oh, so close. He wasn't the guy. He is currently being detained in a facility for sex offenders in Minnesota, where I hope he stays forever. I was going to say, at least he's behind bars. He needs to be. Oh, absolutely. He supposedly, like, just kept jars and jars of Vaseline in his van (gasps) and, like, lots of porn. He's just a weird, weird person. Which, hey, no judgment. Whatever. Like, you can be into whatever you want to be into. But when it comes to driving around the van that all of your conquests and your victims are raped in. Right. And naming it the Porn Palace. Right. You have issues. Get and, this guy off the streets. Yeah. He obviously liked to, like, do things in public and, like... Yeah. Yeah. Just bizarre, scary man. So, findjody.com has, like I said, done a lot of work for Jody's case. And that includes putting up four billboards across Mason City, trying to draw attention. That's awesome. And those things are expensive, so... Yeah, it's amazing. I wish every case could have a group of people who are like, no, we're going to solve this. Yes, every victim deserves that. Oh, for sure. So in the fall of 2020, there was a web tip that came in about a freezer buried in Iowa. And the dates surrounding this freezer lined up. So apparently what happened was this tipper, who again uh, was online, wrote in to findjody.com saying that his grandfather confessed on his deathbed that he had been asked to bury a freezer. And when he went to bury this freezer, it was like taped and sealed shut. And he was given strict instructions not to open it. And it was right around the time of Jody's disappearance. Sounds like a mob movie. It's very bizarre, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So Mason City Police and the Iowa DCI actually dug up this freezer. But the only information that's been released from this dig is that there was nothing of note found. Bummer. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, one more little strange thing. The day after Jody went missing, another woman reported to the police that she was being followed by a small white truck. Remember October 94? (gasps) When Jody reported being followed by a small yes. white truck. Now, unfortunately, whoever took this report didn't complete it and they had no contact information. There's oh. no way to reach out to this woman to get more information and find out if it's the same white truck, if it's right. the same. There's no way to get further information. Oh, that's so frustrating. It is interesting, though, that two women now in an eight month period have reported this and one of them went missing. Yes. So, findjody.com is a great organization. If you have any information, you should definitely check them out. As of right now, thousands of people have been interviewed in this case. 
and people believe that the answer is not that far out of reach. We just need that one person to come forward and say what they know. Somebody knows something. So if you do, reach out to the Mason City Police or findjody.com. Jody was declared legally dead June 2001. Oh, that's so sad and so frustrating. Very sad. She was so young. She was so sweet. She had such a bright future. It's just terrible, and I really hope we can get some answers. Obviously, the best thing would be, oh, she's alive, and she's happy, and she's safe, and, you know, but I think her family and those close to her are prepared for less happy news, but even that would be better than not knowing. Right. Some kind of definitive answer. Right. Hopefully, we'll find that. Eventually. Yeah. So, it's been a while since I did something haunted. Ooh, okay. (laughs) You've heard of the Queen Mary, right? Of course. Of course. We all know her as one of the most haunted places in America, but originally she was a normal working ship. Back in 1936, Queen Mary took her maiden voyage from Southampton, England to Cherbourg, France, then to New York. During World War II, she carried troops instead of tourists. The ship was up to a thousand feet long and considered the fastest ship of its time. Her final voyage was in 1967 and she has been docked in Long Beach, California ever since. As it's widely known, there have been numerous ghostly experiences. Lights turning off and on by themselves, knocking on walls, hearing laughter from empty rooms, sink faucets turning on and off. One specific sighting of a bearded man in dark clothes. It said he was a fireman who was crushed under one of those airtight doors. He hangs out in the very doorway that he died in. Then there's the swimming pool in the first class section. Many visitors have reported sightings here. There are sounds of children crying coming from the third class nursery and sightings of a little girl who drowned in the second class swimming pool. I have to stop and tell you a story. Back when I was in high school, I was at my best friend Tracy's house on Halloween. We're watching one of those shows that covered different haunted places across America and one of them being the Queen Mary. To this day, I can still see in my mind the image of the pool they showed with that ghostly green glow of the water and the sound of a little girl laughing in the background and the watery, child-sized footprints walking away from the pool. (laughs) You can see why it's still in my mind. (laughs) At this time, I was about 17, and a few years later, I had moved to Florida. I was visiting Tracy, who had moved to California. I hadn't been there since I was about three years old, so we did the normal sightseeing touristy stuff. Can you guess where this is going? (laughs) Yes, and I'm jealous. Okay. So we went to the Queen Mary. We did a do-it-yourself walking tour that's free, and you can only go so many places, but it's still a giant ship, so there was still plenty to see without paying for a guided tour. There was a staircase leading down to the engine room. Tracy really wanted a picture, and even though I was scared, I walked down a couple stairs so she could take a picture, And I was in a rush to get back upstairs because the whole time I had this eerie feeling. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. It was just that creepy hairs on the back of your neck feeling. Yes. And I could not get up those stairs fast enough. Oh, no. (laughs) Today, the Queen Mary is profiting off the ghosts. There is a paranormal ship walk that explores the reports of ghostly sightings. You can dine at Sir Winston's restaurant and after dinner, go on a spooky but fun tour. 
You can also see The Illusions of the Past with Aidan Sinclair. He does an interactive theatrical seance. And they also do social meetings and even weddings. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would love to go back now and do the ghost tour and the dinner show and, and all of it. And even if I don't have a paranormal experience, I have no doubt it's going to be very fun and entertaining. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's okay. do a Dolls and Doom field trip. I would love to. <laughs> Me too. That would be so fun. Yeah. We could go like on a, um, like a, just a tour of like all the haunted places. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That would be so cool. Just a road trip. Yes. Cool time to kill. I'm jealous that you got to go there. That's amazing. I know. It was so long ago, but still, I have like these pictures in my mind. So I'll see if I can find that picture of me <sighs> down in the, yeah. the stairwell. Yeah. Just to, hearing you describe that as creepy. Kind yeah. Of gives me chills. <laughs> and here's another funny thing about also Tracy. We were at her house in Colorado. And again, this is like 17, 16, 17. We're in her finished basement and we're literally looking at a book of like ghost stories and creepy things. And all of a sudden the door, <gasps> it was finished. Uh -huh. So it had like a normal doorway, like it was a, like a bedroom. Mm -hmm. The door opened by itself and both of us screamed no. bloody murder. And then our cat jumped on the bed. <laughs> so that's why we didn't see anyone standing there because the cat was on the ground. So the bed was covering the cat when he first walked in. Right. And that's the thing. Most of the time, a reasonable explanation it, exactly. for most things. But every once in a while... There's something that's not. There's something you just can't explain. Exactly. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. Please check out our website for pictures and for links corresponding to each episode at dollsanddoom.com. Follow us on social media and leave us a comment. And stay alive so you don't end up on the wrong side of the grass. <laughs>